This is Living Faith, the podcast ministry of First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. We are located at 100 North Lake Avenue. Our Sunday morning services start at 1045 a.m. Sunday school is at 930 a.m. You can find out more information about First Baptist Church at fbcap.net. This message is part of a series entitled, Look and Live, Life and Light in the Gospel of John. Turn, if you will, to the Gospel of John, the first chapter. Take your order of service, your bulletin. You'll notice on the right side, I just call that around the office, the right side it, um, of our bulletin. That is going to be the, the flow of the message. Now, you see all those points, and how many of you are getting nervous right now? We're knowing he's good for an hour or three points. Now we got 11. Well, I was sick this week, and the doctor said I need a good sweating out. And so I'm going to sweat out a little bit for a couple hours. But <clears throat> as I was preparing the message, and as I usually do, I start... Uh, the Sunday after, usually Sunday afternoon, I'll begin to look over the next passage of Scripture. I love preaching through books of the Bible. I jokingly say that it was written that way. Why not preach it that way? I like preaching through books of the Bible. And I was, I was just looking, and in our English translations, we have headings that we've added to help understand. Chapter and verses were added. They would not have been part of the original letter. But I began to look at that and to think about that. And it just simply says in the ESV translation, Jesus calls the first disciples. You may remember that the gospel of John was written so that we may believe in the Son of God, that we may believe and have eternal life. It is an evangelistic book. It's trying to teach who Christ is and why he came. We titled the the series, Look and Live. Seeing Christ for who he is and understanding who he is, understanding who we are, understanding what he has done, understanding what we need, understanding what we must do, and then living. And so we see here in the beginning, we, this first chapter, we've explained who Christ is, and now we begin to see played out what he has come to do. I've simply just called it, if I'm not big on sermon titles and things, just Gospel conversations. There's a lot of dialogue that is going on between Jesus and the disciples and the disciples and the disciples. And it all revolves around understanding who Christ is, him calling the disciples, then disciples coming to Christ and seeing how their life has changed. And you'll notice as we go through this, the call to follow Jesus Christ is a call that is all of who we are. When we experience Christ, Christ becomes all of our life. And our life revolves around what Christ has done for us and how can I share that with others. So I pray that our life is full of gospel conversation. That we have had a a gospel conversation with Christ and that our conversation with others is a gospel conversation about who Christ is. So take your copy of God's Word right there beginning in uh, chapter 1. I'm going to begin reading there in verse 35. The next day, and so there's a a series of days here. It's probably about a a, a week of time is going to be passing between the beginning of John's testimony to the first miracle in Canaan. But we have here another day. The next day, John, being John the Baptist... John the Baptist was standing with two of his disciples. Now, what would have been happening is, is, is John the Baptist would have had men that were following him and believing in what his message was to prepare the way for the Messiah. And so there would have been men that would have been following John the Baptist saying, we're with you. We, we want to help you point the way for the Messiah that is coming. So John the Baptist would have had disciples with him. So the next day, John the Baptist was standing there with two of his disciples And he looked at Jesus as he walked by, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned, and he saw them following them, and he said, What are you seeking? 
And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and they saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day for it was about the tenth hour, about four o'clock. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew. The other disciple, as you study the text and look at it, it just kind of makes sense that it's John, the the apostle John, but it doesn't let us know that. But it just makes sense. You look at it, it was probably the apostle John and Andrew. So back to 40, and on the, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Notice what he did. Verse 41, Peter, uh, Andrew, he first found his own brother, Simon, and he said to them, we have found the Messiah, which is Christ. He brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said to him, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. And he found Philip, and he said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael, and he said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said, behold, behold, and said, behold an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Let's bow in prayer. Lord, we love you. We love your word. We love the gospel. I pray that at the end of our service, we can say that and truly mean it. That we love you. That we love your word. And that we love your gospel. Help us to understand very clearly what the gospel is. And what it means. And the joy that we have to live it out. We ask all this as always in your precious name Lord. Amen. And amen. Well you can see from your right side there that. I've got the the scripture references in those statements. So what I want us to do is to take a look at these gospel conversations. There there are actually three conversations that are going on. You've got John the Baptist with John and Andrew and Jesus. You've got Andrew and Peter and Jesus. And then you've got Jesus and Philip and Nathaniel. And as we look at Jesus calling the disciples... We need to realize that there are some things that are taking place that never change. One is that we need to always be able to recognize Jesus for who he is. And we'll unpack this. But we need to be able to always recognize who Jesus is. The real biblical Jesus. Not the the Jesus that we make up. So we need to understand that for who he is. We need to secondly understand that as a believer, we need to follow Jesus for who he is. It's easy to to follow Jesus when we've created Jesus in our own mind. I think I'll give this Jesus a try and, and maybe this one thing in my life will get better. I'll give church a try and and do this Jesus thing if he'll answer this prayer. Well, that's that's not following Jesus for who he is. 
So we recognize Jesus for who he is. We follow Jesus for who he is. For no other reason do we follow Christ than just who he is. That's a great message about anything we do as a Christian. We give because of who Jesus is. Well, I don't believe in giving. You haven't met Jesus. I serve Jesus because of who he is. Well, I don't have time to serve. You haven't met. It's pretty simple, isn't it? We do everything we do because of who Jesus is. That leads to the the third thing that you'll see in this text. We recognize Christ. We follow after Christ. Third, we share Christ for who he is. We share the the real Jesus, the Jesus that came to to take away the sins of the world. We share Jesus as the the Lamb of God and the, the hope of all creation. That's all in the text. And these three conversations interwoven in such a way. Let's go to, I guess you could say, conversation one. John and Andrew. And Jesus, look there in verse 35. The next day, John was standing there with his disciples. You could say, converse, I'll say conversation. It's actually a statement, a sentence. Conversation one. Behold the Lamb of God. John the Baptist was a different dude, amen? Something about John and Baptist. They're just different dudes, aren't they? He dressed funny, he probably talked funny, he ate funny. For those that don't get that, he dressed, ate locusts and dressed in camel hair. He was just a different dude. He probably wasn't the, the most well-polished with the way he presented things and he wasn't as concerned about rubbing people the wrong way as he probably could have worked on a little bit. He was just a different dude. But you know what? He didn't care. You know why he didn't care? Because he got Jesus right. There are a lot of preachers out there that do a lot of things well, but they don't get Jesus right. I had somebody, we love to talk about TV preachers, so I guess if I become a a global sensation on the TV, people will be making fun of me, right? Well, he's just, we'll find somebody on TV, he's just nice. Yeah. He's got a pretty smile. Yeah. Yeah. He dresses nice, yeah. Got a big church, yeah. But he doesn't get Jesus right. See, to get Jesus right is to get all of Jesus. To get Jesus right is not to get part of Jesus. I always use this as a silly example because you know it's true. It's silly and we giggle all the time. That's like telling somebody marriage is great all the time. And I, y'all, I've said that a thousand times, and y'all still chuckle. Is marriage great? Yes, but we know what I mean by that. It's work, isn't it? It's good work, but it's work. John the Baptist got Jesus right. Notice what he said. Behold. So I've, I'm John the Baptist. I am. I'm John the Baptist. And and two of the disciples here, and I kind of like having disciples. It'd be kind of neat to have followers of of what you believe in. They they buy in in what you believe in, and they're following you. And you know God has sent you for a particular message at a particular time, and you're right in the middle of what God is asking you to do, but then Jesus shows up, and you know your time is passing. And what John the Baptist was saying is, this is not about me, guys. It's about him. And that word behold means to look intently. That's who I'm talking about. Draw your attention. Focus there. There. Behold the Lamb of God. He walked by and said, behold the Lamb of God. And verse 29 up there, he said the same thing. The next day he saw Jesus coming. This was earlier. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When we understand that Jesus is the Savior and the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, 
we get Jesus right. When we can point people to the Savior that takes away the sin of the world, we get Jesus right. When we know that there is a, a holy God and a righteous God, but yet because we are sinners, there is a need and there is a, a void and there is a situation between a sinful man and a holy God and the only one that can step in the, in the gap, the only one that can provide access to God for a sinful man is the Lamb of God Jesus Christ that takes away the sin of the world. Show of hands, how many would be willing to say that our world is in need of some help? Starting right here in Avon Park, I'd say, wouldn't you? Wouldn't it be great if we got Jesus right? Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. See, life is about sin and what we've done with our sin. There's really no option. We're either a sinner or we're a forgiven sinner. And the only remedy is Jesus Christ. It was just a, Now, that was a radical message then. We say, well, that's a radical message today. How radical was it then? We think of all the things that are going against us and we whine. We are whiners. Can I just throw it? We're just whiners. We, we long, I don't even know what we long for. Can I pick on politics for a second? We're going to make America great again. I voted Republican. I throw that out there. Don't be throwing something at me. I didn't say that behind the pulpit, so I'm not in politics and pulpit. <laughs> I did that up there. I voted Republican, all right? Y'all got me there? We following? Are we following? What's going to make America great again? If Donald Trump is the answer for making America great again, that's not what we're looking for. Was Hillary Clinton going to make America great again? No. Did Barack Obama make America great again? Did Ronald Reagan make America? No. You know what's going to make Jesus? You know what's going to make America great? Jesus. And it's, we live in that again, again. There's never been an again that we were in some perfect place that we could get back to. Before we took prayer out of school, before we did this, before, no, just get away from the begins. We've always had the same motive and the same message. Then, if we want to get back to something, go back to this. Let's make us great again. Let's make the gospel great again. Let's go back to the church. Let's get Jesus right. There was not a political, popular in politics then, but they didn't care. They got Jesus right. We've got to get Jesus right. We've got to understand that for a day such as this, we've got to get Jesus right. We've got to get the gospel right. Conversation number two in this group. This is he of whom I said after me comes a man who before me. Oh, that's verse 30. Let me drop down to verse 36. The two disciples heard them say, and they, they followed Jesus. Love verse 38. We can stay here all day. Verse 38. Can you imagine? I, I think my mind's like this. I just put myself in spots. Behold the Lamb of God. John and Andrew went, well, that's who, that's who we've been waiting on. And John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb. he was saying, You go. And they follow Christ, and then Christ turns around and goes, What are you seeking? Is that not the greatest question I think I've ever heard this week? Jesus himself asking, Who are you seeking? 
If you go back and look at a, a chronological writing of the New Testament and these events take place before Matthew and Mark begins to fill in the blank, it's one of the first things that came out of Christ's mouth. He looked at the disciples whom he knew. Who are you seeking? Are you seeking as Judas was seeking? And we'll get to that as we go through the gospel. Who are you seeking? Jesus is asking the same question today. Are you seeking someone to take a problem away? Are you looking for someone to fix something? Are you looking for someone that can give you something? You, are you seeking him of what he can do? That's what Christ is saying. Who are you seeking? Are you seeking someone that can do something for you to answer this, to provide this? Or do we seek Jesus because we need everything? That's a big difference. It's kind of the idea of just when, when we come to Christ, we are a, we are a a broken man. We, we have nothing as a man and a woman, as a child. We have nothing. That's what repentance is. We, everything we have, we are just saying, I cannot. And I'm, I'm doing, letting go of everything to come to Christ. What are you seeking? A religious follower? Are you, are you looking for a Pharisee? Are you looking for a Sadducee? Are you looking for a religious option? Are you looking for that moral thing in your life that just good moral people do as far as Christianity and church? Or Jesus is saying, are you seeking everything? That's salvation. What are you seeking? Another way of saying the same thing. What does man seek? Have you ever thought about that? Just, I tried to do this, but I couldn't because I know what I was I, I, kind of, I'm trying to do this objectively, but I can't because I know what I'm asking for. But I sat down this week going, okay, what does a man seek? Ah, I try to just think abstractly. What does a man want? What is just a human being seeking? I think they're seeking purpose. Everybody wants a, a purpose in life. Why am I here? What, what, what is my life about? What, a, what do I want to do? Purpose. I think people are seeking meaning in life. I think people are, have a sense of hope. They, they, they look and they, you know, what, what is our hope in? I think people look for contentment. They just want contentment. They want uh, purpose. They want meaning. They want something that they know their life can accomplish. They're, they're, and here's why. And then, and then last, I just wrote down peace. See, there's something going on internally in us. We are created in the image of God. Everybody is created in the image of God. And so when I do evangelism, I don't say, do you want purpose and meaning and joy in life? Then come to Jesus. No, that's not what I mean by that. The point is that we are created in the image of God in that sense. I believe there's a natural inclination for these things in our life. There's something that we know is out the something. General Revelation teaches us that in Romans 1. These things man is seeking. Do you know what Jesus says? I'm the answer to all of them. When we come to Christ and our total purpose is not living for Jesus Christ, our total meaning in life is not living for Christ, our contentment is not found in Christ, our hope is not found in Christ, our peace is not in Christ, then we have not come to the biblical Christ. I believe that with all of my heart. As crazy as this sounds... I do evangelism a lot differently than I used to. I used to do evangelism a lot quicker, a lot more intently as far as every man needs to know they can go to heaven when they die. Every man needs to be saved. We need to get every man saved. And so bow your head, close your eyes, receive Christ today. Go to heaven today. Go to Christ today. Go to Christ today. And then I realized, Can I not just present Jesus Christ for who he is 
can I explain all of the gospel, God's holiness, man's sinfulness, Christ's propitiation, his death on the cross to take away our sins, Jesus as Savior and as Lord. Because when we come to Christ, we are coming empty-handed and it's something that we want to do. You don't ever come to Christ when you don't want to do it. You come to Christ because you know that is the only need. That is it. What are you seeking? I'm seeking you. What are you seeking? The Savior, the Lamb that takes away the sins of the world. That is what the world needs to come to. What are you seeking? Gosh, that's a great question. It's not church. It's not stuff. It's not things. It's Jesus. And we have to realize that there's a point in a time in our life that we need to do something with Jesus. We either receive him or we reject him. It's not believing. It's more than just believing. It's receiving Christ for who he is. Who do you seek? You can find purpose, meaning, hope, contentment, and peace in a lot of different places, but the only reality is they can only be found in Jesus. Behold, the Lamb of God, who are you seeking? We have to get Jesus right. Then we have to let Jesus do what he came to do. Who are you seeking? We let Christ do what he came to do, to seek and to save that which was lost, to give life and give it more abundantly. When we realize there's nothing that we can do on our own and we turn to Christ, we let him do what only he can do. Third, and the fourth conversation tie together, where are you staying? I don't want to make too much out of the words, but I I do want to make a lot out of the words. Jesus, where are you seeking? Where are you staying? It's kind of like a, a gospel preacher. If you're here today and you need to come, come. Where are you seeking? What are you seeking? That's a great answer. Where are you staying? You get that? What are you looking for? I'm looking for you. Where are you going? What do you want? You. Can I go with you? That's pretty neat, isn't it? Where are you staying? (laughs) I've been with John the Baptist. I want to stay with you. How did Jesus respond? You tell me. What did he say? Come and see. That's awesome. What are you seeking? Where are you staying? Come and see. Christ said, if you want to understand who I am, you want to hang out with me, you come. Look at verse 12 of chapter, look at verse 12 of chapter 1. But all who did receive him, who believed in his name, who, what are you seeking? Where are you staying? Come and see. All that did receive him who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Behold the Lamb of God. What are you seeking? Where are you staying? Come and see. This first conversation in these verses, 35 through 39, You could say it this way. We got to get Jesus right. Let him do what he came to do. And then just go to him. Just go to Christ. Come and see. We move on there from verse 40. And one of the, the two heard Jesus speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He who first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah. And he brought him to Jesus and Jesus looked at him. And so you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas. Two more conversations going on. Don't miss this. 
Andrew to Jesus. Jesus says to Andrew, Andrew, what are you seeking? You think Jesus understood what he was seeking? Where are you staying? Jesus to Andrew, come and see. Imagine spending a night with Jesus, just hanging out, talking about the things of, I can't even imagine. I don't even want to make it out like it would be cool. It'd be redemptive cool, wouldn't it? So what happens when you meet Jesus? What happens when you hang out with Jesus? What happens when you stay with Christ? What happens when you've met Christ in a personal way? Your life changes. And you can't help but tell everybody else. Amen? Guess what that means to some of us? Know where I'm going? I'm just a logical guy. I was going to say smart. I'm not smart. I'm just logical. If Andrew, if you meet Jesus and you fall in love with Jesus and you can't do anything but tell others about Jesus, then if you're not telling others about Jesus, have you really met Jesus and do you really love Jesus? Amen? Come on. That always gets the crowd going. It's not that hard. That's Beck math. If I'm not telling people about Jesus, then maybe I'm not loving Jesus for who Jesus is. Maybe I need to go, as the Bible says, back to my first love and meet Jesus and understand what he's called me to do. Andrew was beside himself. You ever, who did he go to first? When you meet the Savior of the universe, who do you go to first? Those are closest to you. Those the hardest to talk to. Those that it is the most difficult to share the gospel with. Who did Andrew go to? His brother. We have found Christ. I want you to go to work Monday morning. If you, if you meet Jesus this after, if you meet Christ in this hour, if you meet Christ in this hour, First thing I want you to do is go into work Monday morning and open up the front door and go, we have found Christ. Now, Brother John, I'm probably not doing that. But you'll go in there and tell everybody how your bracket did this weekend. We have found the anointed one. We have found the Messiah. We have found, don't miss this, Him. That's what the Jews were looking for, the Messiah. He's it. It is Christ. We have found it. We have found what everybody is seeking. We have found the answer to all the questions. We have found Christ. You know what's so remarkable to me about Andrew? You see Andrew a couple times in Scripture. I wrote down John 6, 8, the feeding of the 5,000, John 12, 22. You can look there later. The only time you see Andrew in Scripture, he's bringing people to Christ. What a testimony. Is he in the Bible a lot? No. Did Peter overshadow him? Yes. Aren't you glad? And now I don't want to take God out of the equation. One of the most influential men in the New Testament was Peter. Who led him to the Lord? Andrew. You ever read some missionary stories and about, you know, the, the, I can't remember who it is. I always get them mixed up. I don't think, it might have been Spurgeon. Was Spurgeon saved on a snowy night somewhere? Anybody know that? Yes or no? I think it was spurred. Somebody, some famous person that I love dearly was like saved on a snowy night when nobody would go to church and he wandered in church prayer meeting and a, a layman had to stand up and give the message because the preacher got snowed in. Now, I'm not talking about layman. I've been there and done that. I was sitting on the front pew as a layman one time and our senior pastor come up to me and said, I've got the flu. You may have to preach. I about died right then. I wasn't called to preach then. I was like, oh, my gosh. I, never, I got on my knees. Lord, heal him right now. I mean, I'm telling you, I was about to go in a conniption fit. But wouldn't this been an awesome testimony? For little John to stand up, don't have a clue what he's going to say, and stammering through something that God laid on his heart, and the next Spurgeon gets saved? How do we not know the person that we're leading to Christ is going to have a grandchild that's going to be one of the most well? We don't know. That's what makes the gospel so wonderful. All we know about Andrew is he just took people to Jesus. What a great funeral message somebody gave for Andrew. What do we know about Andrew? I don't know. He just took people to Christ. 
But his brother, he's more well-known. Andrew didn't care. He just wanted to take people to Christ. I said this last week. When is the last time you had a concerted effort with your... I'm not talking about being sweet to somebody or saying you're going to... Saying you're going to pray for somebody and not pray for them is not the gospel. That was supposed to be funny. You know, we say, well, I'll pray for you. We're praying for you. Okay. Most of us are not. That's not evangelism. Inviting somebody to church is not evangelism. Having a, a scripture verse on your desk is not evangelism. Let me tell you what evangelism is. Behold, we have met the Messiah. Come to Christ. Meet who I met. That's evangelism. When's the last time we've done that? We ought to do that every day. There ought to be some process that we are looking to engage someone and somehow with what Christ means to us and what Christ will do for them. Whenever we see Andrew, he's proclaiming, we have found the Messiah. This conversation, what do we learn from Andrew to Peter? We have to tell others who Christ is. So Peter goes. Notice what happened. Verse 42, he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him. So you are Simon, the son of John. Ah, I love this. You should be called Cephas, Aramaic for rock. You miss that? This is what Jesus is saying. Andrew's walking down the aisle. We'll say it's an aisle. Andrew's walking down the aisle, and Jesus sees Peter. And Jesus sees Peter and says, he's going to follow me. He's going to betray me, but he's going to change the world for me. And the second he came into the path of Jesus, Jesus says, I'm going to call you rock. Why? Because you're going to change the world for me. Is that not the most incredible thing? But didn't, Jesus, didn't Peter deny him? Sure he denied him. But you know what Jesus was looking at? The potential that was there. He saw what Peter was going to become. The moment that Jesus Christ calls us, he knows what God's going to do through us. There is no insignificant salvation to Jesus Christ. The moment that he calls us and we step out in repentance and faith and we receive Christ, he admitted he knows who we are. He knows what we are going to do for him. Now, I I love to preach on Peter because I remind myself of Peter a lot. We all do, right? Here's the one thing about Peter. Peter may have made a lot of mistakes, and he'd made some bad, bad choices in life, but there was a consistent pattern of Peter wanting to live for Christ. Even, I think, in the denial at the garden, he, he was really wanting to do, he just got caught up emotionally. Some of us are saying, well, I must be Peter. No, you're not even trying to live for Christ. He knows what we're going to do through him. It was Andrew that came to Peter. It is not who we are in Christ's eyes, but it is who we will become. Andrew to Peter, tell others. Jesus to Peter, God has a plan for you. We all are part of the story of redemption. God has a plan for you. Verse 43 in our last conversations. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip. Well, that's a little different scenario. John the Baptist pointed the disciples toward Jesus, and they went with Christ. Andrew left Christ, and he went to Peter. Now we just see Jesus being Jesus. He goes to Galilee, and he finds Philip, and he says, follow me. kind of the idea and you're sitting there on a Sunday morning and under the preaching of the word of God and God says follow me it's 
kind of like the, uh, the story of I've heard in so many mission fields where the, the gospel is not readily available and the, the Indian chief is sitting in a, a hut. He's a cannibal Indian chief and he's sitting in a hut and he has this weird dream about, true story, weird dream about the, this Messiah God something coming and saying three men will come and tell you truth tomorrow. And the true story, the Indian chief wakes up and the next day three Southern Baptist missionaries show up with a Bible. God just shows up supernaturally and says, hey, follow me. You ever notice it doesn't matter who shares it and the conviction and repentance is always about following Christ. There's no, there's no levels of Christianity. There's not kindergarten through high school. That would be very convenient for me. I could figure out where you were spiritually. All kindergartners, don't pick on y'all. We'll sit over here then. Children's church are these four ladies. First grade, Carrie. Second grade, Stanley. PhDs. Pastor chair. But that's crazy, isn't it? We don't don't get saved and moved from level to level to level. We're all called to follow Christ. We're all called to love him. There's not carnal Christians and baby Christians and mature Christians and immature Christians and confused Christians and got it. We're all called to follow Christ. And when Jesus comes into your life, he's just simply saying, follow me. I'll make you fishers of me. And it's not about what you're doing. It's who you're following. And I know when I preach, it's a bunch of do's and don'ts and wills and won'ts. I know that, but the Bible is full of imperative. These things just add up to a life of following Jesus. You do need to come to church because Jesus is here. Amen. You do need to give because that's what Jesus does. I mean, the things that we ask to do, but see, what we do is we love, this is crazy. We love our job more than we love Jesus. We love our families more. I've met mothers, not much dads that I have mothers, so don't get mad at me, mothers. I've had mothers that are like they love their children more than they love Jesus. Well, gotta, I've got to get I've got to do this class and this thing, we've got to do this, we've got to do that. And the preacher, when we get through with school and we get her in college and get him in college, and now, you know, we've got to listen, just follow Jesus, okay? That's what you need to do. You raise that child where you love Christ and the things that Christ loves and do this and do that, do this. You just love Christ. Let your job, let your hobbies, let your things, let your stuff, that'll take care of itself. When you're following Jesus, everything else just kind of works out. Amen? Just follow the Lord. Everything where you'll have, you follow the Lord Jesus, and I promise your kids will turn out great. Just follow Christ. The process may not always be the same, but Jesus is the same, and the request is still the same. There goes old crazy Philip. He found Philip, and Philip said, follow me. And Philip found Nathaniel and said, we have, isn't it amazing how they act when you meet Christ? We found him. I don't know why I circled it this way in verse 45. Philip says, we have found him. We're not alone. We found him. Others have found him. We found him. We're good Jews. We're looking toward the coming of the Messiah. We have found him. This is what he said to Nathaniel. Isn't it amazing when you meet Christ, you immediately begin to share Christ. And then Philip says, come. He said, come and see. There was, an inv- there was a, a sharing of who Christ was, but it's also like, I'm with you on this. Come and see. We have found him. The one that Moses and the law and the prophets are pointing to. Nathaniel's just a typical person. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? This Jesus of Nazareth, an insignificant city. That's you know, I'm looking for the Messiah. I'm looking for this. Philip probably ran up like my grandmother used to do and shook him. My grandmother was not a Quaker; she was a shaker. <laughs> come and see. Quit thinking, quit trying to process, quit trying to figure this out, quit trying to figure life out. I'll come, I'll do this when I get this in order. Stop it. Come and see. Faith. 
step out in faith and see Christ for who he is. Quit trying to rationalize and think and worry. and uh, Just come and see. And then last, we have Nathaniel and Jesus. So Jesus to Philip, it takes faith to follow Christ. Philip to Nathaniel, tell others and invite others. Nathaniel, Jesus, and Jesus to Nathaniel, trust in him. He knows you. We've sung about it this morning. He loves you. Notice what happened. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Isn't that amazing? How do you know me? Oh, I've known you. I've known you since you were in your, before you were in your mother's womb. I've known you forever. Would you, rather, would you rather come to a Christ that's known you forever or a Christ that just met you? Forever. He said, I've known you when you were sitting. I'm, I'm God, all-knowing, all-present. I knew you. It's kind of funny because the commentators are trying to almost allude, and I don't ever want to add something that's not there, but the, but the commentators on this text have said, somewhere in this conversation, Nathaniel must have been thinking about something. And somewhere in this conversation, Jesus answered the questions of what he was thinking. And that's why Nathaniel had such a radical response. What? We're, we're thinking, we're processing, we're wondering, and then all of a sudden God says, here's the answer. How do you know me? Jesus, I've always known you. God is a God of love and grace. And mercy. That's what makes the good news of Jesus Christ so wonderful. Jesus said to Nathaniel, before Philip called you, before Philip called you, I saw you. My own life is a testimony of that just as yours is. When you came to know Christ as you have lived for Christ, when I came to know Christ as my Lord and Savior and as I'm living my life, there is not you, there is not one, there is nothing anyone could ever tell me to convince me otherwise that Jesus Christ didn't know everything about me forever. I can go back and look at my childhood and know that God was all over that. I can look at the way I was raised and know that God was all over that. I can look at the moment I came to know Christ and God was all over that. I can look at the way I've lived my life now and know that God was all over that. I can see the sin and the bad choices I made in life and how through repentance and faith, God was all over that to prepare me for what he's doing for me today. And I hope I can say that every day in the future. What do you mean? You, how do you... Isn't that comforting words? Maybe you're wrestling with your salvation today. Maybe you don't have that assurance. Maybe you're sitting there. And I think a lot of it is this. I think a lot of people struggle with this. Commitment. Something as simple as identifying with the body of Christ, professing our faith through baptism, identifying with the church, living out that Christian life. For some reason, we're apprehensive about that. We're not ready for that. We've got some things we've got to take care of before we can do that. Whatever the reason is, and this is what Jesus said to Nathaniel. Nathaniel questioned, Nathaniel, I saw you before Philip talked to you. You come to me, and you receive me. No questions asked. You know what Nathaniel did? Did just that. Because I said to you, I saw under the fig tree, you believe, you will see greater things than these. And he said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, verse 51 is an illusion, an illusion. 51 is a reference to Genesis 28 with Jacob is wrestling with God and there's a ladder. Remember that? In Genesis 28, he's wrestling with God and there's, a, there's like a ladder and, the, and, and God, you know, the angels are trying to come up and down the ladder and come to, come to Jacob. This, this is a reference to this. And he said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven and opened up and the angels of God descending and ascending. A good, a good Jew would have known exactly what Christ was saying. It would have been, bingo, I know that. 
Christ is saying this, there's no ladder anymore. I'm the mediator. Some of the commentator has said that is what Nathaniel was thinking about because he said there's no deceit found in you. And in Genesis 28, it talked about Jacob being full of deceit because he's always lying. Some commentators think that's what Nathaniel was wrestling with. Jacob's full of deceit. So then I come up and meet Judith. You're not full of deceit. I'm the latter. But this is what Christ is saying to Nathaniel. I'm it. You want a right relationship with God? It is through me. Genesis, uh, John chapter 2, the first miracle. God's calling his disciples. They're coming to him and they're following him. What does it take to follow Christ? Faith and trust that he is Christ. I don't know about you, but I, I read John chapter, I read these verses, and I think, you know what? It's not as bad as I thought it was going to be. It's not as bad out there. We've got the answer. It is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. It is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Man, if I can't get excited about sharing that and believing that and trusting in that, there's not an individual in this room that whether it's children or grandchildren or extended family or job or, or sickness and things, our, our plate is so full of stuff. And the only thing that's going to make that stuff go away is understanding that we are a follower of Jesus Christ. He's got our future. He's got, our pre- he's got everything in his hands. Will you come to him? Will you believe in him? Will you share him, the real Jesus, the real gospel? Let's stand as we pray and as we sing. Lord, we thank you for the call that you place on our life as your disciples. We're thankful, Lord, in your wonderful, graceful, merciful, sovereign, providential way that you're always working And you're working in ways that we can never understand and never comprehend and never be able to totally grasp. But we're grateful that you're always working. And you're working in the lives of people and men and women and boys and girls. And you're calling people unto yourself. And and you're calling in such a way that you're asking to be received by repentance and faith. Lord, that message has never changed. Throughout scripture, we see the testimony. Throughout history, we see the testimony. Even on videos today, we see the testimony of people that have decided, that have answered the call and decided to follow you. I pray that we are not just people that hear the word and agree with the word, but we are people this morning that hear the word and agree with the word, obey the word, and live that word out. Let us be people that understand and live out these gospel conversations. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen.